listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little butt sucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Hey, baby. Hellers are gay. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Okay, can I not say whoever you are out there in the wide world, thank you so much for lending me your ears. It's just like comes out of my mouth. I can't not say it. I've got a pattern. I'm in a pattern. Fuck. Hey, this week I had the good opportunity with speaking with none other than Mark Willett. Now, Mark Willett is like, man, he's cut of a different cloth. I use these terms, but like I have the good fortune of speaking with amazing people. I really do. And Mark Willett is an amazing human being. He's a, like, you know, there's so many fingers to everybody's life, but Mark's life in particular, because that's who we're talking about, so many fingers to it. You'd call him a a, a modern day Renaissance man. I I mean, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, But just such a good guy is Mark Willett. He's been, um, well, for me, you know, out here on a limb, on the horse's mouth limb, Mark has been very supportive over the years. He, he sent me many a nice message that's inspired me to to keep to keep going with the horse's mouth. I mean, I just love doing it, but you know, it's little messages that I get that, um, and Mark has been and been doing that and encouraging me for some time. So he has been on the the hit list to come in and have a chat because I know Mark has got a crazy life. I don't want to divulge on it too much, but I mean, the guy held a world record for a day and I don't want to let that you know, to hold a world record at any time for anything is an amazing feat. And the fact that he did it out on the oceans, you know, it, it's it's a wild, wild thing. So, you know, that's there's a story in there that I'll, I won't wreck for you right now. Um, but, but yeah, so Mark, Mark is uh, an ocean, a waterman. You know, he's a sailor, he's a surfer. Um, I'm sure he dives. I'm sure he does all the, all the things, you know, he, he, you know, he's an, he's a great surfer. That's how I met Mark, uh, is through surfing and, um, you know, the dude rocks up on a motorbike, you know, he's, he's a, a cool cat. He's a cool cat. Um, but he, uh, also look, I'm just going to throw this. He, he is one of the founders of a magazine called the great ocean now the Great Ocean. It's been abbreviated from the Great Ocean Quarterly. Um, but, yeah, so so there's Mark Willett, there is Mick Sowry and Jock Sarong, and they have the beautiful publication um, called the Great Ocean Quarterly or Great Ocean, and um, the boys are putting out another issue, and it's all to do with the Southern Reef. And, and it's just for a really, really good cause. So... Um, if you go to www.greatocean.com.au, it'll be in the link. Uh, I'll, I'll nail it in the link. Um, the boys are looking for pre-orders. So, like, if, if you've ever had your hands on one of these magazines, they're timeless. They really are timeless. The the articles in them um, and, and the, the, the paper that they – this is a classic magazine. So, yeah, if you feel like getting on board there, that would be great. Now, um, 
without waffling on anymore, I'm just going to throw you into the conversation with Mark. Mark, thank you so much for coming over. I really enjoyed our chat. Um, lots, lots, lots to unpack. There's so much in there. And uh, yeah, without further ado, wow. here it is. A complete and total parforama. I think we went Suez Canal. I can't remember. So it would have been. It would have been Melbourne to probably Perth and then up through the Indian Ocean to the Suez, I think. Is that I the, don't think sorry. we went around Cape, Cape of Good Hope. Is that the, the canal that the ship got stuck going yes, across? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. How do you pronounce that? Suez. S U E Z. Okay, Suez. It's okay. very famous. It was made famous by the film Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. When well, he comes over the dune and sees the ship stack go past. <laughs> it's, is that man-made? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And when did they make that? Do you know? I don't know, but I it it's it was World War Two at least, maybe World War One. It would have been early century, I'm sure. Is World it, War One, actually. It's a shortcut, right? Yes. Yeah. It's it's the shortcut from it's the canal from the Mediterranean to the Red Sea, which opens out into the Indian Ocean. So you cut off. You don't have to go around Africa. Did you see there was a tiger shark attack up in there? Uh, two weeks ago. Where? Uh, in in the Red Sea, oh, up no. the top, like right up in. Right. I didn't think there'd be sharks up there. Oh, they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. They're in England. <laughs> I think there are no sharks there. There are sharks. What about Alaska? <laughs> For sure. Big ones. Mothers. Big white ones. <laughs> because, you know, like I, I surfed in, uh, in Bear Glacier in Alaska right. a right. few years ago and I was jumped off this boat and was just like backstroking, yeah. just like no sharks you're... around here, just whales, just thinking like, and then you surfed that wave a few times and had that in my mind, I'm so safe. And then when I got back to California, I told a couple of people, they were like, <laughs> no, man. Yeah, you heard of your mind? <laughs> That's where they are. I know. I couldn't believe that. You, you know my friend Black, don't you? Who tag, white tag? He's on the East Coast. No, but I think, did that? do they have an ad in here? Yeah, he's had an ad in there. Yeah, okay. So he works with the CSRI and they're tagging them. And they, they're working on the ones from uh, Lady Julia Percy, Portland, through to, through to um, uh, Phillip Island at the end there. And... Um, I said to him once, so where are they, Black? And he said, you don't want to know. <laughs> They're all here. Well, They're right here. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it weird? Because yesterday I was surfing Winky and it was one of those cold, yeah. sort of sullen days where the water was steely. Yeah. Look, 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 in the photos in here, it was reminding me of that because I just read the article and I, uh, I was like, the fuck? You know, you know they're around right now, but there's like... Why I, I'm touch wood, man. Touch li- wood. I, I think it's a lightning bolt. I just think it's a lightning bolt. If it's if you get hit by lightning, you didn't see it coming. You know. Yeah, but like other states haven't been as as fortuitous in. Um, you know, like WA went fucking hit the straps. Uh, yeah, New South Wales. Is, yeah, I don't know. I yeah. don't know what the I don't know what the probabilities are and everything. But for me, going in the water is. Well, I suppose, I don't know. 
if you see one, you don't go in the water, I suppose. But no, you'd be fucking nuts. Well, you come out of the water. But I remember with Dave down down here once staying in the water. <laughs> it was a smaller one, probably. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I have two once in Queensland. Yeah. And the guy, I was paddling in. The guy was like, "Dude, there's heaps of fish," and he was just kept paddling past me. And I yeah. sort of stopped, and I was like, oh, "I guess." Well, I was in the water once, and two killer whales were doing, I don't know, they were doing 20 knots plus. They were going really fast because it was just this froth coming off these tall fins. And we were sitting out at this break. We're in South America. And it was just a little beachy, tiny. And these things, we just saw them from maybe a couple of hundred metres and then they wheeled in towards us. That I... I went straight. I just shat myself. <laughs> that was full on. But they're supposed to be pretty cool. I think they'll bite you. Really? Yeah. Orcas. Yeah. Yeah. I think they might. Yeah, because I've got mates yeah. that live in. Um, Maybe not. I don't know. No, like because they. Uh, they like meat. <laughs> yeah, they like meat. I know, but and have you? What's that orca movie where it hunts the boat? Well, that's the Blackfish, isn't it? No, no, no the Blackfish is the documentary. Sorry, the doc. Oh, Hans it's the an boat. old school movie where some sailor kills one of its oh, offspring and oh, it forever right, hunts right. him, rips a pier down. Yeah. Uh, I remember that as a kid. Anyway, we digress. So. <laughs> well, that, sorry, there was a sick vision on Instagram yesterday, the current round the world race. They had the, had the cameras in the water. And and the orcas going at the rudder. Oh, I think Did I you saw see that, that in the news. I didn't look at it, but yeah. I saw orcas something to do with the yeah, race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they thought they were gonna. That, and that happens. They they ram ram boats and yachts. Those things. Why do they have beef with yachts? You would well, think that yachts are pretty. I'd you, be ramming a shipping uh, a fishing vessel. Maybe they, you know, you know, like Sydney Hobart race and all that. Boats hit sunfish and. Whales, things all the time, uh-huh. and when I say all the time, it's quite regular. And I don't know, maybe those guys—they're pretty smart. They get upset. They decide they're gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things are cutting up our community. Fuck you up. Yeah. <laughs> what about? Uh, no, I don't want to go there yet. But like shipping containers too, right? Underneath. Yeah. The, under, just oh under yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Lightning bolt. Really? You're never gonna see it. Yeah. If you're racing, you're going fast. You'd be lucky to see something like that. I don't want to go here yet. Yeah, okay, that's so okay. That's okay. You were um, so from a very young age. You've been on the water. Yeah, and where in were you? On where it. Were you yeah, in mm. it, on it, going backwards and forwards. Yeah. Where were you living at that time of your life? Which bit? At when when your mum and dad were taking, or your mum was okay. taking you on the boat? We're and, in Melbourne. Yeah, we're in Melbourne at that point, and. Yeah, she... Um, what was your old man up to? He's in advertising. Oh, really? He's an ad guy, yeah. Is that how you and Mick know each other? Uh, no, but when we met, it became pretty clear we had a similar background. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so we had a lot to talk about straight away. Yeah. Who was the lady you had on recently? She was interesting. Um, from here, the, she worked in the ad business. Um, Susie Brown. Susie. Susie. Yeah. That was classic listening to her. Like well, she I, could have worked for your old man. 
I, um, I thought that. <laughs> he probably fired her, right? <laughs> <laughs> she sounded like a riot. Yeah, that's yeah. who she is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. he would have been working through that time where it literally would have been like madmen. He was a madman in New York. <laughs> oh, stop it. Yeah, I've got the photo. Yeah. Well, that's our photo we've got in our office now. In Madison Avenue, he worked for McCann Erickson. Oh, my So God. we were there for a, a year. Yeah. And so you lived in New York as a kid? Yeah. Really? How yeah. old were you? That was um, for, uh, grade three. Grade three, I did basically grade three in New York City. So what was I? Um, nine, eight. Man, I remember the grade three like yesterday. That must have had a pretty a profound, you know, that's a chunk of time. So my dad was busy, my mum was busy, so we'd walk four blocks, me and my sister, to PS54 from 59th Street. PS54, not Studio Public 54. Public School 54. Oh, 50, not Studio 54, no. Public School 54. Yeah. Yeah, was so it on 54th Street? 54th on the East End. We used to walk four blocks. Yeah. Oh, no way. My, yeah. I, I went to acting school up in that area. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So we lived in 59th in an apartment. And, um, yeah, we used to walk to school ourselves when me and my sister when we were little. <laughs> was it scary? Oh, I remember it was 69 and... There was a lot of um, racial tension, shitloads of racial tension. There was a high school next to us and a big cyclone wire fence and the high school kids rioted one day and they gathered us all, all us primary school kids and took us inside. This was during lunchtime and these kids just went nuts. That was one thing that happened. And I got beaten up out the front by some kid. My sister had to go and save me. What were you doing to get beaten up, Mark? I don't know. I might have been cheeky. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you must have been really like sticking out like a sore thumb, an Aussie kid. Yeah, we've been bullied. For being Australian? Yeah, we were only there for a few little while. That's racist. Well, not bad. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if they thought we were Australian or where we were from, but we were just different, weren't we? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that accent and knock about attitude. Yeah. And yeah. so your dad, did he have a, was it a good year for him? No. No? Yes and no. Yeah, no, he had a breakdown by the end. R- the stress? Yeah, well, he's an alcoholic at that point. I Valium. feel like everyone in that zone. Oh, don't worry. I'm, I, I don't feel hardly done by. I just feel like I'm part of the gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think our parents were a lot more distant than I've been as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. And... He certainly wasn't very present. Yeah. And my mother was sort of there, but pretty mad. Yeah. Yeah, so. Mm. And, okay, so the end of that year, he came. you guys came back to Australia? No, he, he took us back. She came for about to Melbourne for three months and said, I'm out of here. Couldn't handle it. So we were just back here then, uh, yeah, from 70, 1970 onwards. And then she went back and lived in New York. Oh, wow. She, yeah. like, loved it. Yeah, and she didn't love my dad anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so she went back. Yeah, that was, she couldn't be here. It was, it was, you know, you couldn't get a drink after six or whatever. And the 
the mums in the at, at Brighton Grammar would be would be looking down on her because she had a job, you know. Right. She hated all that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so yeah, okay. You came back and you were at school and um, did you have interest in the ocean at that point in your life? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I my dad and uncle grew up in Bondi. Yeah, and um, they they lived in North Bondi, and they were surfers as kids, even though they didn't keep doing it. Your dad was a surfer. Yeah, cool. Yeah, in one of those, what do they call those big hollow timber things? Like a toothpick. Yeah, what were they? They were like sixteen feet long. They yeah, had I think a they were stainless hook on the back to grab. Yeah, yeah. He used to ride those, and my uncle, and they were both swimmers. They used to swim in the, you know, where the Bondi baths are in the north end. They should do the racing there, and yeah, they did all that stuff. And um, so I, I sort of, from a little age, we were in Bondi. When I was actually born there, but we were there many times, and I was in the water, and I'd see people surfing, and I always wanted to do it. So I had my first real go at it when I was seven, or yeah. Eight, when we came back from New York, we went to Bondi for three months before we came to Melbourne, and I, that was the first time I stood up <laughs> on a foamy. Yeah. At, at Bondi? Yeah, the well, North Shore, the North End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. a great yeah. memory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also got stuck in a rip. <laughs> My nana on the rocks going, keep paddling. <laughs> <laughs> South End or North End? North End. North End, Just yeah. off the little pool there. Yeah. <laughs> It can get pretty. I remember once at school we went to we were on a road trip up somewhere as a family, and I would have been sixteen. Yeah, and I said, "Oh, I'm just going for a surf," and I ran down to the south end at Bondi. Yeah, never, never been there before. Yeah, paddled out. I was yeah. well out of my depth. Yeah, and I literally fought for my life to get back to shore. Oh, and no one knew it. Like there was no yeah. one around. It was winter. Yeah. I just remember getting back to the house and being yeah. like, everyone was just like, duh, 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 and didn't, I was just like. You know, no one knew. Unreal. I had my nana there saying, keep paddling. And when shit gets tough, that's what I hear. Keep paddling. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. How great. And so so you sort of just took that for yourself. That was something for you, like the surfing. It was no one pushing you that way. Um, Oh... You know, I was always really disappointed in my dad for not facilitating it more. Mm. He brought us down to Melbourne. You know, we lived in Brighton, nowhere near the surf. And I I loved listening to, um, uh, who was it? Was it Laurie or Greeny? I can't remember. John Law. Yeah, talking about surfing at Brighton Beach Baths in the South Westerly. We did that. Riding down on your drag stuff, trying to hang on to the board in the wind. Now, was there uh, yeah. like, there was a different setup there that actually made it peak up? A oh, bit yeah, different? yeah. The bars are gone now. Okay. The bottom of South Road. Yeah. That, that, there'd be 100 people there. It was insane. Oh, even then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was, I was a little bit younger than them. But yeah, we were all doing it. That's in 1975, 6, 7. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? A hundred people. Oh, for, I saw s- s- just carpets of wetsuits out there trying to get like two foot chops. You could actually get barreled. For real? For real. Just one would come along and 
bit of a triple up. (laughs) (laughs) I never got one. But when you were little, though, you didn't need much. Like, I I remember I'd paddle out, well, not even paddle out, walk out, I suppose, on on shore day at Mount Martha. Yeah, there you go. You know. Yeah. That was the same thing. Yeah. Kerford Road was the other one up at... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Up at Albert Park. Park, yeah. Mm. And so did you... You came back and did you do high school and everything in that... So Brian Grammer, um, till uh, grade four to form two, the old man had another breakdown. So he... He, let, wasn't, he wasn't listening to something. He wasn't listening to his body, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, he just was driven and, you know, he worked his guts out and then they drank. They drank so much. Yeah. You know, that was... That was that's what... They did in that business. They'd do the work. They'd go to work in the morning, take the clients for lunch. I think Susie said the same thing. Come back at four and then go and work till 10 and then do it all again the next day, you know. So. Wow. I don't know. So he melted down and bought a pub down. Oh, yeah. Down in the southwest. The Boggy Creek pub. Boggy Creek. Yeah, and dragged us all down there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I had a year at Tim Moon High. Wow. Classic. Holy shit. I didn't realise that you had spent so much time all over this joint like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. We never stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And Tim Byrne. Yeah. From New York to Tim Byrne. Via Brighton, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Wow. How'd the pub go? Oh, it was amazing. It was like I never forget rolling up there. He just they just threw us in the station wagon and took us there, and we'd never seen it before. And we just said, "Where the fuck are we?" <laughs> Two dogs in the back, and it was great though. It's really good. Oh my god, life yeah. was so much simpler. Yeah, to be able to just rock up. I yeah. bet has your dad poured a beer before? No, but he was pretty. I think. Like in the ad business, he was pretty pretty hospo. Yeah. He was very, very, very into service. He sort of made that place in one of the first destination pubs in Victoria and he used all his networks and marketing. I've got newspaper clippings from Herald Sun where he's got big spreads on it and his clients, old clients, had come down for three-day weekends and stuff and they, they got... They went went around to find the best steak and get all the crayfish from Port Campbell and pour pour clean beer and cleaned all the hose. He did all that really well. Yeah, yeah, made it nice. And then and then you had this sort of local fraternity, which was really it was really challenging for him. Dairy farmers. Yeah, the, a lot of them were really great people, but there were some absolute alcos in there, and they were just just as heavy dudes. And um, that that he didn't like that, so I think he was there about six months, and he started trying to get out of it. <laughs> we were there for about three and a half years, I think. So, yeah. and so was it the time in Brighton that you cottoned onto sailing? Yeah, so he 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 started sailing before we went down there. So when I was really still in primary school, early high school. I sailed with him a bit and did the cadets at at Brighton for a year. That's sailing cadets. With a guy, yeah, with a guy called Nick Chapman who became a really famous 
really good sailor. And um, so, can I sorry, just bust that down? Yeah. Did you do it right with the minnows or no clinker cadets? They were the traditional clinker built hulls. Brighton have them. I think. I, I, are you going to tell me what a clinker? Okay, so imagine um, a, a fourteen foot dinghy. Instead of it having smooth sides, it's got like planks. Uh-huh. The clinker build is like lapped planks. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and and they're they're steamed and wrapped around the the bulk or the frames of the boat. Is that like a, a surf club boat? No, um, no, they they're flat sided. These things have a kind of lapped planks on them. It's hard like to explain. Yeah, like weatherboards. Yeah, imagine that wrapped around a hull. Yeah, so I should have said weatherboard boat. <laughs> but uh, they were the traditional cadets. They still sail them now. They're still like an Australian championship and stuff. And so that, they, they were good boats. They were gaff rigged. They were good to learn in. That's like a real old school first fleet boat. Oh yeah, this is they. They, they, they were like that, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were some of them, not all of them. Okay, yeah, yeah. Some of them, but yeah, that that was a traditional boat from I think the turn of the century that was still being used. They're still being used today. They're a bit less so though. So with your sailing prowess, and you say I learnt in a clinker boat, does it give it a bit more cred? No, I never became a really good dinghy sailor. I needed to go and win some championships or something, and I didn't ever do that. Mm-hmm. I sort of did a bit of that. Went back onto the we went down the country, no sailing for a while. And then I only had a year at Timburn because I fucked up a bit and got sent to Geelong Grammar then. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. And at that school you could sail. Yeah. So I did more, that's where I really got back into it. And then I was racing dinghies at school. Did okay. Cry Bay. Cry Bay in Limeburners Lagoon. Did you ever see a shark in there? No. I heard there was one there too. In Limeburners. That's what I heard. Well, I pro- well, I wouldn't be surprised. I reckon it might have had too much algae in it when we were there it in the petroleum. 70s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stuff from that refinery, yeah. Yeah, so um yeah, so that 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 was the dinghy sailing and Were you in my auntie's year, Dom Teague? Definitely. Yeah, I know Dom. Yeah. I I mean I knew Dom, yeah. Yeah, yeah same year. Yeah. yeah. Bernard. Yeah, yeah, I saw, yeah. saw her recently. Yeah, yeah. But she got she goes down Peterborough way as well. Yeah, her grandmother's house is there. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, we she did a beautiful gig in the Peterborough Hall uh, the year before last. Oh, awesome! It was last year. That was so good. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Yeah. Sorry, digress. That's um, right. So you went you you went back to you're at school. You got in trouble. You got sent to the grandma, and then you, that's where you dug in on the sailing. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. So that that gave me some confidence, and then after that, I chased the big boats when I left school. What does that look like? Well, how, how do you mean? Oh well, the I'd I'd started sailing at a better level straight away out of school. I I, I think people just thought I was a better dinghy sailor than I was because. Big boats like to get good dinghy sailors because they know how to trim sails well and steer well. So as opposed to someone just trying to learn on the run. And so I think I think I had a bit of luck early where I 
they might have thought I was better than I was and then I could bullshit a little bit and, you know. You had the gift of the gab like your old man. You could get good. (laughs) Yeah, quick. (laughs) Quick. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I got a run on a really good boat and then I got fired off that boat, boat boat called Black Magic and I was... Desperate to do the Sydney Hobart with Hold them. on, you got fired? Yeah, I got put off the crew. Why? I didn't make very nice sandwiches one day oh. <laughs> <laughs> when it was my turn. No, I wasn't fitting in and I probably wasn't as good as I needed to be. But mainly socially I wasn't fitting in, I think. Was that an age thing or it, was that a... Confidence and age. I was definitely lacking in confidence early on then and... I really didn't know what to say to them and properly and fit into the – so it was pretty blokey. Yeah. And I wasn't really – I mean, I had been like that, I suppose, but we were just naughty kids at school and, you know, it, I didn't learn much about the outside world. It was one of my first experiences really with a group of people outside of my world. And so – and where were they from? They were just Williamstown guys, really yeah, okay. good, really, really great sailors. Yeah. Actually, they were at the time probably the best crew on the on Port Phillip. So I'd lucked onto that, and then I got put off. But I, when I, I did do that first Sydney Hobart um, with a really great friend of mine, who's still a great friend now. He got me onto the boat he was on, and it was a little, little less competitive, but, but I had a good run. So I got my first one away that year. What year was that? 83. 83, first Sydney to Hobart. And yeah. it's a fucking crazy race. Yeah, it definitely can be. Definitely can be. It can be, it can be really boring. It can be really yeah. <laughs> scary. It can be amazing. It's got most races you get a bit of everything. Um, but, yeah, going upwind in Bass Strait, that's uh, always interesting. <laughs> Say going up wind, so you're sailing into the roaring 40s. Yep. Yeah. And does that, that means you've got to do if, what, I'm just, I'm layman here, but I'm guessing I know the word tack. Yep. That's right. Is that what you do? Yeah, you've got a head sail up and the waves are coming against you and you're, you're going up and down, up and down and you're trying to steer and, and keep, because you can't sail directly into the wind. And generally when you're going upwind, that's where you're trying to get to. Um, <clears throat> you you have to try and keep the boat going fast but but keep your angle to the wind as small as possible. So that way you're doing less distance. So that's that's where all the skill comes in, especially if the boat's being thrown around, which is what happens. So that first race, 83, what was that boat? That was called Morning After. No. Really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I won't ask how that was named. But, um, so what was that race like? Um, was that your first proper ocean, ocean, open ocean? That No, I'd done ocean races in Victoria yeah. that year prior on the other boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'd been to Apollo Bay in Portland, I think. And oh, wow. I'd, done, I'd been outside a few times at that point yeah so uh, yeah and then so it didn't it it didn't feel very scary or anything like that we i was probably in a i probably got into the sort already pretty quickly into the competitive mode so that really 
took a grip of me. Yeah. So, um, this is your like your main drive at this point in your oh, life. Oh, well, what happened was I I was pretty lost after school, and I went and did a year at Clemmages advertising. Yeah. And at the end of that year, a really lovely man, Peter Rankin, came up to me and he said, "Mark, I think you'd be better if you did a bit of sailing and surfing before you try and settle into a job." <laughs> Thanks, Peter. So. Went off for about ten years doing, yeah. <laughs> doing that. Yeah. So do you, um, look, do you look back at that and think it's good advice? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Oh, I yeah. was I was just wasting my time. Yeah. Yeah. At that joint. Yeah. You know, I was never going to be a copywriter or a you know sell sell media. Or, but you know, ironically, I've ended up in a similar business. Well, you do, and you write really well. <laughs> yeah, that's because Michael Collins purse said I could. <laughs> <laughs> Dom will know, remember him. Yeah. Oh, uh, weirdly, English. I know who he was. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. You didn't go there, did you? Yeah. Oh, you went to John Grammer? Yeah. I'll, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll cut this bit out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Was he your teacher as well? Yeah, I remember Mr. Collins first. He was hey. around a long time, that guy. He Academically, he was the best thing that ever happened to me because I didn't get my HSC. And but I always thought, oh yeah, okay, I can write, okay. <laughs> so yeah. So I forgot the name that you just said. He tells you to go and surf and sail for ten years. No, no just just get out and get just out get of out. your system. Yeah. So I'd already um, I'd already focused on it, and yeah, I I was really lost. Year on the bongs. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> you know. know. I don't necessarily know that that's lost. I feel like it's sort of more a rite of passage. Out of some of us did a, it. A, a, age. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. And I look back now too and go, "Fuck, I've wasted a lot of time." Well, I don't feel like I don't. I don't feel like it was wasted because it's sort of part of who I am. But but um, it the transition out of that because I had a I had a a bloody you know what do you call it a sliding doors moment, you know, with all that, and I just walked away from it cold turkey. Can I ask what that was? Oh, I was just, I was partying in our family home and some boys had come in that were there that were meant to be there and then some others came in and started breaking shit. And yeah. I saw, I don't know, something inside me snapped. Yeah. Told them all to fuck off and yeah. I stopped smoking bongs. Yeah. Pretty much from then. I don't know why. But that's what happened. Well, it just doesn't have to be a why. It's just that's yeah. just, just what is what is. Yeah. yeah. So then I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I was out of a job, and so I just thought, okay, I'm going to I'm going to go and work with Dave Smirthwaite down at um, Forest at the top of the Wild Dog Road for the summer, making tracks with the Forest Commission, <laughs> and going surfing. So that's when we we surfed down south a lot from there. Because we just bomb off down through Beach Forest and go down to the beaches and yeah, or down to Peterborough or whatever and and um and we're in, still in the eighties here. Yeah, that no, that was seventy nine. Yeah, seventy nine, eighty. I would have loved to have seen the Otways in that period of time. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Like legit wizards and shit floating around. There, 
<laughs> there were weirdos everywhere. It was amazing hitchhiking then. Did too. you see Cliff Young? I never saw him, no. I've seen him down there. Running through there. Yeah. Right. Unreal. On the way to Joey one day. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was it was a good time for sure. You know, I used to drive out onto you know, onto the massacre headland there. There was no bushes there or anything. We just it was just cow paddock, grass and mud. We you could sh- go all the way out. You could drive right out to it. Holy. Onto the top there. You know where the seat and everything is yeah. now? We just park there. Just I'd lie there at night. Dave was frothing. I'd just be shitting myself. You could just hear it going. <laughs> so, oh, no. You wake up and go, oh, let's go, let's go. Like, we, uh, we're all one of those six, Would you be out there six alone? Thrust, thrusters and. Oh, yeah, toothpicks. <laughs> just no good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty juicy wave. Oh, God. You want some foam? That's so flog there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so then sailing. Uh, now, I found it really interesting. I'm just going to digress, go back to that first Sydney to Hobart and go, when you came around into Victoria and you said you get uh, out in that area where all the oil wells are and you call it the paddock, mm. I just was like, that's such a, drew such weird pictures in my mind of like, why is that area called the paddock? Where did you get that from? Uh, from my the, article? Uh, yeah. So the Sydney Hobart doesn't go through there, right? Oh, Sydney Hobart goes straight past. Past. Sorry, I'm coming that, back in. That's right. If yep. you, yeah. So the Sydney Hobart just goes it's past tra- it, uh, yeah, yeah, straight yeah, down yeah. past Flinders Island to, yeah. you know, you make landfall at Edison Rock or whatever. But, yeah, the, the, the stretch between Wilson's Prom and Gabo Island is known as the paddock. And it's quite shallow, and that's where all the gas rigs are, and where they're going to put the a Star of the South in. The giant wind farm's going to go in there. Out to sea, yeah, an out to sea wind farm, yeah. What? No, well, so what? That's what they do all over Europe. I did not know this. Yeah, so they how do they float? Or they they dr- put pylons into the into the seabed. Whoa! And hang giant turbines off the top. Yeah. And it's going to be the biggest thing in the Southern Hemisphere. What? When? What? Well, that's coming, I don't know, in the next 20 years. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all like, on. Okay, yeah. Danish company with the Victorian government. And where does that electricity go to? Well, they'll pipe it back into the grid. That's part of the problem, the transmission of it all. That's where most of the cost is, actually. Hold on, what's the transmission part the, well, You know, how they move electricity along giant wires. Yeah. That's transmission. So the cost of transmission is the biggest problem with our grid and and renewables. So so right now you've got power stations and old transmission wires that go into Melbourne or whatever, wherever it's needed. You know, you would have seen the big the big towers that go from uh, Melbourne down to Portland for Alcoa. So Alcoa burns shitloads of Brown coal from Gippsland. Yeah, Alcoa in Portland that yeah. is so heavily subsidised that yeah. without government help it would be working at a loss. I don't know, yeah, probably. Yeah, so they say. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So all the – that's coal. So the paddock, yeah. anyway. Yeah, the, the, paddock. the paddock is that stretch of water between between the Prom and Gabo. And, um, yeah, that's that's an epic place. 
when it's blowing. <laughs> so all, so I love this. Just got it. Just you know, because visually, I go like, does all little bits of sea have names like that, like surf breaks? Well, certainly um, areas do, like the rip. Yeah, that's a little bit. Yeah, and the paddock is is because it's two hundred miles with nowhere to pull in. So if you get caught out there in weather, that's that's just what you're doing. You're dealing with it. You're not going in anywhere soon. Um, <clears throat> uh, Bass Strait, Bank Strait, they're all names. Yeah, they're all chartered names. Uh, yeah, there's parts of waters that have names like that. Yeah. And so you've done how many open, uh, how many races now do you reckon you've accumulatively done? In total? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Don't know. Shitloads. So you really... Thousands? I don't know. Yeah, hundreds? Yeah, yeah. I did it. I did I, I, I did my Sydney Hobart one here and then I went travelling and I, I hitchhiked from Portland to Darwin, which was epic. <laughs> day, day, I said, what did you have in your backpack? I, I actually didn't have a backpack. No, just a wallet? I just had a little little baggy thing. Yeah. I had nothing and no money. I said, Dave, I'm going to Darwin. A friend had gone up there to get a job and um, he there was a place I could lob. And so he dropped me off. At, he drove me to Portland and I started there. And I got to Port Augusta really easily and then I was stuck there for a couple of days. Then I got to Cooper Pedy. Alice, yeah. Alice to Darwin in one hit, that was good. Truck? No, I got a truck, Cooper Petey to Alice, I think. I had a mad ride with this English guy and chick. They were crazy. They were, I had to get out. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Why, they were, like drinking, smoking No, bones, no, nothing. They were just, fighting? N- just nuts. Just nuts? Just nuts. And how, how old were they? I don't know, a bit older than me. I was... I've been in Cooper Pedy. What was, were they doing? Hey? What were they doing? They were just literally driving around randomly. <laughs> like, like, um, just, like, like, I've got, I go to that, like, natural born killers, you know, those, the killers yeah. on the run. Like, yeah. What were they up to? Just, they drop, had no idea what throwing, they were doing. Throwing darts at the map. Yeah, but sitting for hours in the back of that car was a bad experience. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you got to Darwin. Yeah, I went up to Via Jackaroo. I thought I was going to go riding motorbikes and horses, yeah. and there were no jobs. Remember the old CES? C- Con- Commonwealth Employment. So you could go in, and they're all little cards on the board, and they were all jobs. I went into the Darwin CES, and I kept seeing jobs for um, prawn trawler, deckhand. So I thought, oh, I'll go down the dock and see if I can get a deckhand job on a prawn trawler. And I did. And went to sea for six weeks on a prawn trawler up out off um, Gove, off the, um, in Arnhem, the um, Arafura Sea, off Arnhem Land. So, um, yeah, that was kind of crazy. That was um, kind of really eye-opening. Please uh, explain. Pri- private <laughs> schoolboy joins, you know, prawn trawler crew with a couple of ex crims on board, just out of jail, and 
Oh, they were just into me. Drinking? Oh, so there was a, they didn't, they didn't drink while we were at sea, but we went to, um, is it Groot Island? I think it is the top of the Gulf and, um, all the boats would go there and party up and they'd go in on the shore. And the engineer said to me, who kind of looked after me a bit, this guy, he said, mate, go in, have a beer while it's daylight and get back on the boat before it gets dark. And I did. I did that. And, um, yeah, someone, someone got really badly hurt on the beach and just, just they used to go in and, and um, take, take or buy, I don't know what they did, all the Indigenous guys' beer. So it was just, it was just, an, it was just um, full on frontier. It was crazy. Drunken sailors. It really, really. And stuff happened on that boat that made me think anything on a sailboat was a piece of piss. <laughs> In so, terms of like weather that you fronted, oh, or just oh, like personalities. One, one night, a, a hydraulic hose burst, and because you used to pick up the nets in the night time. Yeah. And on big winches, big big drum winches, and um, they were driven by hydraulics. The hose burst. You're just standing, standing around in your jocks, waiting to get this net unloaded onto the trays to pull out all the prawns. And um, got the net to the top. The hose burst. I was covered in hydraulic oil, and the skipper stuck his head out and he said, "Get out there and put a hook on from the other side." And that was on a on a, um, a steel outrigger, a steel boom, with a, it had it had it had a frame on it, but like and it was night, and I had no choice. I had to climb out like a slippery pole with oil, oil, oil oil, yeah, yeah, and get this hook on, and then get back. <laughs> I did. I made it, but. Yeah, after that, any sort of sailing boat shit was <laughs> was going to be easy. Yeah. So yeah, that that was a kind of really good experience. They um got we got back to Darwin. They ripped me off, and I left. They ripped you off, like yeah. just how much they were supposed to pay. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was just green, green. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was crazy, but it was good. It was good. I'm glad I I'm glad it happened. Yeah. And then, so then you came back from Darwin. Did you stay in Darwin for a bit longer? Oh, I went to, I did another run on a prawn boat out of. Oh, you didn't have enough. Had that enough. Go of, again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Any more fucking crims on this one? Well, I went to Cairns. I heard there was a, 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 a fleet there. So I went to Cairns and I just thought, oh, this will be different. And it was. It was an older boat. There were two guys. And we went up to Princess Charlotte Bay. That was crazy. Remember one one morning, like crack of dawn, I heard this thunder. It was crystal clear day. And I was on the deck. We were just cleaning up after the night's work, right? And I saw this grey thing on the horizon coming towards us. And it was fucking B-52 just doing its daily lap of the South Pacific from Guam. And this thing just went, I don't know, it was like 500 feet above us. It was just mad. We were in the middle of nowhere, you know, and I just, that made me, I've always thought of that, you know, when they talk about all this shit about China and everything now, you just think, God, my God, 
that land up there is there's no one there and, and there's this stuff still going on, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And especially anyway, now, like, you've got, like, I would say drug smuggling yeah. and the pirates and... Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's forever, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's forever. But, I like, you know, it's just... You think this is just something I've been thinking about off topic is that we consume more cocaine per capita than any other country. I heard that. Right? Yet we're the furthest from the source and we pay the most for it. <laughs> and where does it, how's it all coming in? <laughs> so if we're using that much of it, yeah, it's got to be going through all those yeah. like, you know, weird shit going on in weird places at yeah. odd times. Yeah. With people you don't want to meet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it's. In the hulls of boats and you know all sorts of stuff. You could yeah. be the kingpin. No. <laughs> <laughs> so well, when we sailed the my boat to Fiji a couple of years ago, we got buzzed by border force at Lord Howe Island. Yeah, we went past that thing called the Pinnacle, that pyramid rock at the end of it, and this guy he. I thought, oh, hang on a sec. And I made sure the radio was. And sure enough, he dialed us in. Who are you? Where are you going? And we had all our info with ASMA, Australian Safety, Marine Safety um, Organisation. And um, so obviously I gave the right answers. It all came straight up on his on his uh, computer. And he went around and said, okay, be safe. See ya. Eyes are everywhere. Everywhere. Um and what sort of boat have you got? Uh, that was I've got one now, a, a 44-footer. Yeah. It's in Hobart. Sailing boat. Yeah. It's the third one I've been involved with. So. So you've sailed, circumnavigated the world? Yes. Twice. <laughs> Mind-bending shit. <laughs> it, well, it is from someone who's not a sailor. Yeah, you know, right. like the, the the romantic notion for me to get on a boat and like, you know, hock it somewhere, and not have to go through customs, you know, go through all that usual shit, and then there you are, you know, old school style in the yeah. other part of the world. <laughs> you do though. You do what? Customs and immigration. Oh, you do. Oh, yeah. You're not just getting off in any, even in the islands. You're not just getting off anywhere. They'll come and get you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to go into a country at a designated entry port. You don't get off the boat. Customs comes, immigration comes, clears you in, and then clearing out again. And if you screw it up, they'll come and find you. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you're racing or whatever, we had to do all of that. No one got off the boat till you were cleared. Yeah. So on on our east coast, it's Brisbane, Coffs, Sydney, Melbourne, and Geelong are the only places I think you can do it. You didn't say anything in Tassie. No. Oh yeah, Hobart, you can do it. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the main centres, basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but wow. you can't you can't just say sail into Pittwater. Yeah, fr- okay. from New Zealand. You, yeah, you've yeah. got to go into Sydney and clear first. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. It's not as wild west as I first thought. <laughs> well, it is once you're out there. But for well, for obvious reasons, they've got all the same shit. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I, I get. But what yeah. the reasons we're just talking about? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, are they more polite? They are generally. 
Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, they grill you, though. They pull your boat apart and look in the bilges and shit. They really do. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, they want to find guns and drugs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Some, uh-huh. Sometimes there's a dog. Um, but, yeah, but, but you expect it, so it's fine. Yeah, I just always get the boat ready for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You just pull, put everything away and get it all loose and unscrew stuff for them. Yeah. You just unscrew everything they're going to tell you to unscrew anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so now... This you sent me a text and I loved reading it. Um, you held the twenty-four hour single hull monohull's distance record, in, which was um, a part of a twenty-five day race. So it was a leg of the round the world race, which but that was, was about twenty-five days. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one leg, yeah. So can I just drill into yeah. how did this come, the, the start of this round the world race? What's it called? It was a Whitbread around the world race then. And when, yeah. what year are we sitting in? Uh, that, one, that race you're talking about where we did that speed was 1989. Oh, wow, just after we won America's Cup. Well, that was 1983. Oh, was it that in yeah. 83? I was going to say I thought yeah. it was 88. Yeah, well, 83. That was just the 88 yeah. was the bicentennial year. Yeah, yeah. Didn't we mean America's Cup in? No, no. we lost it uh. in Perth. We won uh, it in Perth too, though, didn't no. we? No. Oh god, no, we've only won it. Up. We've only won it once. Yeah. yeah, when Bomb Hawk was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you're, I was in grade three. If you sack you, you're a bum. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if anyone got yeah, um, so that was eighty three. Eighty three. And where was that one? That was Newport, Rhode Island. Oh, that was in the states. Yeah. Mm. So we mm. took it from them on their own turf. Oh yeah, it's yeah. epic. Epic sporting moment. And that was the keel? Yeah, the, definitely the, the keel uh, was a factor. Um, John Bertrand? John Bertrand was a factor. Their crew was really good. You know, some of those guys. I've done a Hobart with one of them. Um, they were just very, very competitive. They were Olympic sailors. They were really good, good, good at what they were doing and they had enough money with Alan Bond, the notorious Alan Bond. I remember reading an article about Alan Bond at the time. This is before he got found out and ended up, you know, in jail and everything. And so Australia needs people like Alan Bond. <laughs> <laughs> was he famous for painting the the tanks with watered down paint? That was like how he first got his first. Film. You hear about that one? Yeah, he was a painter. That's right. I that yes, I haven't heard that story. I love the story where he was painting signs and he thought. It'd be better to own the sign, so he built bought a forest. <laughs> Bondi, <You know? laughs> Where, what happened to Bondi? Where is Bondi? He died. He's dead. He passed. Yeah. Oh. Mm. he's a real larrikin. He was. We met him a few times along the way. And what was he like as a human being? In the sailing world, he was your best mate. He was great. As a human being, I'm, we, we, he was always dodgy. I reckon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Bondy. But he, I, I met his kids and stuff. You know, they were good people. Red, his wife, was an amazing woman. It's amazing energies, these people. Well, I don't think you can be someone that has a name that has lasted like Bondy yeah. in Australia without being some sort of like, you know, you got to have a little bit of... It's part of our history. Yeah. It's infamous. Yeah. 
you don't get that from just being like your everyday Joe. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was born in England, though. You know that. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Um, now, this race was – how did this come about? Oh, the Wheat Bear Around the World race uh, happened in the 70s the first time. Yeah. I'm just – Trying to think, it was I think it was seventy four. Every four years, seventy eight. The seventy eight one got my attention. That was my last year at school, and I was sailing. That got my attention. There was a, a sailing magazine that had um, done an, uh, a beautiful article on the Dutch guys that won it. Connie Van Rieschoten on Flyer Two with all his Kiwi crew. Dutch and Kiwi crew that were that those Kiwi guys went on to rule that race basically um and he won that and there were these amazing photos of those boats surfing in the southern ocean and there was then we saw some footage from the boat afterwards and that was when I I thought oh that that's sick I want to do that and I sort of, you know, that first time you think, oh, I want to do that, you think, oh, you don't think you're going to do it, you just want to do it. And then as the years went by and I did a Sydney Hobart and I went overseas and I met some people overseas and I had a good run over there um, in New York, actually. I went back to New York and lived there for a while. I went and reconnected with my mother. And uh, I ended up on one of the top boats and we won everything that year. And so suddenly I had a bit of a CV and I thought, oh, I can fucking do this. I'm, I'm going to do it. So I um, I just started angling at it. I had You couldn't do it from Australia. You had to be over there. I just started angling at it and met a sailmaker that was making all the sails for a Dutch boat. And ironically, I ended up on a Dutch boat in 1980. Um, 1985 to do that race. So, sorry, I mean, it sounds like a great time. Do they pay you to do this? Not that time, no. Okay. That was all unpaid. Yeah. I got paid in, 80, in 89 when I went. We were kind of the first pro crew probably in the world. I think even in 83, America's Cup, none of those guys were paid. Yeah, yeah, it was all amateur. Yeah. But they got the day off the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and Bondi probably bought them something. Yeah. <laughs> like so, a house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You did the first one was cutting your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the one where you broke the... the no. No. Okay. No, so. the first one I went on, we were all kids, 24. We were all young. Uh, the boat... The boat wasn't really a competitive boat. It was a bit of a cruiser turned into a into a well. It was a racing shape, but it was a bit of a cruiser that we ripped everything out of and tried to make it lighter. We we were competitive. We 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 in our minds anyway. The boat was never going to win it, but um, we went hard. We certainly went hard in the Southern Ocean, and um, it was a very hard boat to sail downwind. It was the 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 design was not conducive to surfing. You, you'd just be wiping out quite a lot. And, um, yeah, so we got that boat around and, we, you know, that crew's still really good friends with them. I'm going to a reunion in August over there with them. Only one of them's died. 
<laughs> and then not yeah, from sailing. No, no skiing. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. But um, um, yeah. So then I, after I did that, I could pretty much go and write my ticket. Then, so I came back, built a boat here with a guy called Lou Abrams out of Melbourne, and we did the Admirals Cup. You built a boat, a race boat. Yeah. So uh, this is now for the more ocean, the local ocean racing. So this was a 40-footer. Um, it was built to do the Sydney Hobart and the Admirals Cup in the UK. So we had to we had to compete to get on the Australian team and then go over there and race against the Poms and the Germans and the Yanks and the French and all of them. That was good. Fuck, but how do you know how to build a boat? Well, I was a labourer. Yeah. I work for a boat builder, so you know. But so just, you're learning so much at a young age about the whole, like the whole. Yeah, that's right. And I was sail making as well. Well, I wasn't very good at that, so they got me to make the bags. <laughs> <laughs> Did the sails go in? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not so critical. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah, wow. So you like you there's nothing there, you don't know about a boat, right? Like now at this stage of your life. Yeah, you, yeah. I was that I never you never stop learning, of course. Yeah. And uh things have moved on really a lot since I slowed down. All this foiling that's going on is amazing. You mean just like pro out here. So like, you've seen you've seen the foiling surfboards and yeah. and, and and um paddle boards and yeah. uh, kite boards. So all of that's in sailing now. So the America's Cup boats are foiling boats. The boats are above the water. Yep. And they're 60 feet long. What? Yeah. The... Have you not seen that footage? No. Dial it up. It's it's incredible. They're doing 50 knots in 17 knots of breeze. 50 knots. They're doing 100 Ks on foils in, in 17 knots of breeze. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. So is this like yeah. the future? You, would you oh, use... this is now. It's... No, but I mean, would you do around the world one of those things? They, the French do around the world, non-stop, single-handed, on foils. <laughs> How, oh, fuck, my That's already hurt. happening. I oh, know, that is mind-blowing. There's an English guy called um, Alex Thompson. You should see him. He's, he's a robot. They, 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 they non-stop. So they do a thing called phasic sleeping. <laughs> yes, okay, phasic sleeping. Break this one down for me. It's where you sleep. You have it sort of like, um, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how it rolls, but it's something like 12-minute sleeps and you wake up and... 12-minute power naps. And then check, and you do this over a few hours. Do 12 minutes, wake up, check all your shit, and then sleep again. Yeah, apparently it works. Mm. And okay, so, so when if you're you, if you the- don't sleep well at night, don't worry so much. Guys, <laughs> people are doing that all the time. Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, okay, so then this this I want to dial in on this race where you broke this record only to have it broken the next day. Yeah, yeah. So we're in the second leg of the round the world race. We we're going from. Well, hold on. So that race started where? 89 in uh, that was 1989 Southampton in England. So you flew you fly there with the sole purpose of getting on a boat. Oh, I was already there. Yeah, okay. Well, well, I was working for a year before that race on the campaign. Okay. Yeah, to, to get on it. 
Well, well, I got on the crew, and then we have a year of prep, a training, a year racing. It's a full dedication. It's not oh, a rock yeah. up on the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same with the Dutch boat the time before and the Admirals Cup. It was there. By the time we got to, I was doing the Admirals Cup in '87. It was pretty much we were pros then. We were being paid to do it all, so that was your job. Yeah, so it's just like motorsport or anything, same sort of thing. So you're training and getting to know each other that well that your life depends on each other and you have a rapport that under the harshest conditions ever that you got each other's back kind of thing? Well, that's what you'd hope, but more what it was about was you were such a good crew you could do anything, any manoeuvre in any conditions. So if you wanted to jive the boat in 60-foot seas doing 25 knots, you could do it. You know what a jibe is when you go from one angle of breeze to the next downwind. So tacking's upwind. Yeah. And a jibe's the same thing but downwind. Okay. And you have to get the boom across and the spinnaker across and all that stuff. And that's a lot of rope pulling and, and you know, like a, a, a very well-timed moment from the guy steering. If you get it wrong, it goes very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like? <laughs> On your side stuff, you know. Yeah. So so that that was the training was getting the crew to that level of being able to maneuver the boat really um really perfectly. And so does that take a lot of like in, in, in uh, intuitiveness from each other knowing each other so well that you don't really have to speak you just know how to work as a unit. And and I got on several crews where it was exactly like that. Hardly a word was said. Like I would, I'd be on the bow, tripping, tripping a pole, dropping a line in the new line into the pole to go out the right side. But because I knew how to steer a boat, I could tell where he was at. Yeah, yeah. And I, I he would call it, and as soon as he, I, I almost always knew when he was going to call it. So, so we got to that sort of level. I mean, they call it a hive mind when everyone's synced. Exactly. Yeah, so I experienced that on three different crews and that's why it's really hard to just jump on any boat now and go sailing because that's not there and it's it's um, really frustrating and disappointing. So you've got to you lower your expectations from everyone. Mm. But at those levels, when you do it properly, it was, it was the ultimate fun. It was so good. Yeah, I, I remember us... Um, End of the same leg you want to talk about where we did the speed distance record. We we ended up second in that leg, but we were match racing a boat for 24 hours into, into Fremantle. And Laurie Smith, the skipper of my boat, had been an America's Cup skipper. And we went we went around Rottnest Island and we were just with these guys for the last 24 hours and they were a little bit in front of us, but only just. Like by the time we went around Rottnest, we were 50 metres behind them. This is after 7,000 miles. And Are you exhausted? We, well, we hadn't slept anyway because we'd been match racing these dudes already for now 20 hours and this was like the last few hours going into the finish. And Laurie just, just said, right, Put everything away. We're going into we're going into race mode 
short course race mode right now. And he just attacked them like he was in the America's Cup. Jive, jive, jive. They were matching us. To do, and we went, and then he'd go again, and he'd go again, and they knew if they didn't cover us, we were going to get round them. That's it was a full match race, and it happened. They fucked up, and we went through, and beat them over the line, <laughs> mate. They were crying. It was full on. It was an amazing thing after after that time at sea to finish like that yeah 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 you know we beat it them comes by... down to like minuscule moment of x amount of time we went over the line and they were right next to us behind us it was incredible yeah yeah so that that that's how we used to race those boats so coming back to your thing about the distance record we were out in the middle of the ocean and you're in the Southern Ocean and you're going downwind most of the time. So and Southern Ocean is you've, you're around the bottom of Cape... Cape of Good Hope. Yeah. And that then is the Roaring 40s starting there? We're is in it? the 50s. We're in the 50s. Hold on, the 50s starts over there. Is it goes... So imagine latitude, right? Yeah. Oh, it's, is that what it is? It's latitude. Latitude, yeah. Ah. So latitude is the equators, goes down, 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 down until you get to Antarctica. The South Pole is 90. Yes. Right, so... 60s really getting down onto the ice. Yes. 50s, the screaming 50s, roaring 40s, screaming 50s. Is that what they say? Yeah. Screaming 50s. Yeah. <laughs> that's where, that's, that. you know, they talk about the roaring 40s all the time, but where the, where the Cuddy Sark and all them were, they were down there because it was also a shorter route, right? Yeah. You yeah. got the Great Circle route. As you went further south, it was shorter to get to where you wanted to go, so less distance. So, more wind. And generally more wind. <laughs> a lot more uh, wind. Ice? So we didn't see ice in that leg. We saw a lot of ice in the fourth leg going from New Zealand around Cape Horn because then you're really down in 58 south. So you're getting really far down then. And we, we saw icebergs and growlers. And What's a growler? Uh, a growler's like the size of a car, if you like just sitting in the water waiting to wreck your boat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. So um, the, the, I just wanted to go into that 24 hours. You held a world record there for a second. So what we did, I think, I can't remember exactly. We did, so it, it, it's measured over 24 hours and we did about 412 or something nautical miles in that period. And then the French boat Charles Jordan um, was actually potentially a quicker boat than us. They just weren't sailing it as hard. But then they did like 430 or 420 something, like literally the next day. And we knew all this because we were doing our daily schedules with the race control on HF radio back in those days, no sat phones or anything like that. And everyone... Everyone would say their positions, and you could see how far everyone had gone in that in that twenty four hour period. So yeah, you a fair bit of honesty in that. It that's true. That's true. You it could have been that someone was bullshitting a position. People used to do that so that they were playing cat and mouse a little bit. But um, no, we talked about it with those French guys afterwards. We all reckoned that that was about right. And we were. We were doing 400 miles a day, which at the time was pretty phenomenal. It hadn't hadn't really been done before. But now they're doing 650s and 700s. 
yeah, on the foils. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't want to jump back into the foils, but the foils, are they harder to control? How do they keep that? Anyway, fuck, it hurts my head. I like, know, oh, it hurts my head too. I mean, you see them in flat water and you can get it. Yeah. I can't imagine them in big waves without breaking shit. Because you were saying in that yeah. race that not, not long after that moment of, get, you know, having the record briefly, that you hit crazy storm. Yeah, or squall really, just one big fucking cloud. <laughs> was that when it was snowing on the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the wipeout about a day later. So that um, that we we had already broken gear. We'd been going that hard. We'd probably got a bit tired. We started fucking up. We broke some gear. We broke two spinnakers, leaving them up too long uh, in too much wind, and we'd broken a we bent a spinnaker pole. So we were sailing um, with. Uh, main sail up, two reefs in the main sail, so short main sail, and we'd put we'd put two jibs, you know, like head sails, one opposite each other off the bow. We call it uh, goose winged, and um, those two sails were up in the air at the front of the boat with the main at the back, and it was. It was pretty good. We were maintaining our fast speeds, but we needed, we wanted more wind and it was very stable, much more stable than with a spinnaker up. So we were feeling pretty good about things and went into a um, into the evening and the wind got stronger. It'd probably been 25 to 40 knots. Now it was like 30 to 45 with hitting 50s. It was still okay. People steering with saying, yeah, we're good, we're good, we can do this. There were some pretty big swells around. So just anyone that's listening, a knot is usually 2K, it's just less to a knot. So it's nearly 100K winds. Yeah. 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 Yeah, something like that. It's pretty wild. It was, It was. but down there, there's something about it. You, you get used to it a bit and it's pretty steady. It doesn't it doesn't bluster and puff so much and you set up for it the waves are really big like really big mountains out there half a mile apart and there's something about that uh, distance with both speed that you you just it just all dials down the tension. So we're sailing around in 40 knots like no worries. Like here you're getting 40 knots, it's like, ah, get everything off and quick. It's a storm. <laughs> you know, down there it's just blowing. That's how it that's what happens. And and so that was all good and we went into the night time and, um, yeah, I came up on watch about midnight and everyone was pretty cool and, because we didn't have spinnakers, everyone was pretty chilled. We weren't having to work that hard, like trimming sails that much. And we just really wanted more breeze because we knew if we had more breeze that we could be just as fast. The boats would only go so fast as well. That was a thing. Once you got to a certain speed, that was it. You couldn't do much more. The boats these days are different. They plane, they plane on top of the water or now they're on foils. But 
the planing boats these days and ours were not planing boats back then. They were they were um, hole breaking. They were they would like dig a hole. Mm. <laughs> so if you if you actually broke them out and planed, that was pretty hectic, and we did a lot of that down waves. But um, oh, about a couple of hours into it, it was really dark night, really black. Um, there, were, there was no moon. We could see some stars. There were clouds every now and again. You sort of, sort of get these sort of silhouettes of big clouds. And I reckon about two in the morning, we were sitting there and we, we're going along pretty hard. There'd been some big waves. There'd been some puffs to sort of 45, 50 knots. The boat was going, no worries. Um, but then there was this wash of cold air we felt at first and suddenly you just thought, oh, what's happening here? And you couldn't really sense it properly until it started snowing and then you realised that you had a big squall coming down onto you and you couldn't really see it but you could because it was blacker than the black that was already out there and it felt like something was about to and it went right over the top of us and the wind was now blowing it was it was 50s plus and we saw 60 knots and now we've got too much gear up and the idea of pulling the gear off was just ridiculous there's no way you're going to do it you just you had to actually ride this squall you knew that eventually it would back down again or you thought that because it felt like a squall, it felt like a cloud, so you didn't know how long it was going to be. So it was just like, okay, we're just going to steer through this. And but then as that as that snow really started sledding in, and those, that wind was up and really howling, um, screaming really, you could hear it screaming in the rigging and everything, and the boat was just groaning because it was trying to get out of the water, but it just kept digging its hole as those boats used to do. And there was a set of waves arrived and um, it, it just, the you felt the first one go under us and it was way bigger than the other waves that we'd had. And it was, well, bigger, no, it was steeper is what it was. And we fell off the back of the first one and we're okay, and we're dropping down the back of it into the trough, and the wind kind of backed off as we were in the shadow of the next one coming, and the boat slowed down a bit, which was really bad because speed's your friend. Speed means you can put the boat where you want to put it, and when it slows down, you can't get it there. Anyway, we got we started, we started um, rising up the wall of the wave behind up, 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 and it, it just – and suddenly you realised we were on a really steep wave. In fact, you realised it was going to break. And we we went up pretty vertical, not really vertical, but we were still – it felt like that, but it wasn't. And, and then the wind picked us up again and we started accelerating and that was good because as we went down, started going down the face of this thing – it broke behind us and there was just a, like a thunder of white water behind us. But now we're doing 25 knots and the 
we're going down this thing and the guy steering just said, hang on, don't touch anything. What he meant was don't don't adjust anything, just sit there and hang on. And what he had to do was get us down this thing safely. Well, oh, my God, it was, I don't know, the, the I saw 35 knots on the speedo, the air got around the, got around the gear, around the keel. The boat was out of the water going down the face. And then as we as we got down to the bottom, it was just like a black hole. You didn't know what was going to happen. So I'm just sort of, I'm hanging there. No one said a word. And this poor bloke steering was, he just, he was amazing. He, he really hung on to it. And we, but we got down into the trough and it was so steep that the bow just buried itself in the bottom of the wave, in the trough, and the boat picked up. And I thought we were going to go head over, cartwheel. Endo. But it lifted up. And, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, 18 tonnes of yacht here up in the air, basically. And then it fell on its side instead of going over, thank God. And we were, we were on our side, pinned down for a bit, but then, then the keel righted us and we came up, but we were really dangerously side on to to what was coming next. And then the boat the boat sort of the, the wave went under us and as we rose up we got back into the full full blast of the of the breeze and it just exploded on the sails. It, it just shredded the the sails. The, the, the one of the jibs that was to weather just tore to pieces immediately and then the 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 leeward jib and the main we hadn't actually done a what we call a chinese jibe we we came up the right way to the wind those sails knocked us on our side again so now we're on our side pinned down by the breeze and First thing is everyone all right? Is everyone here? <laughs> and so you clipped in. Oh yeah, yeah. Safety harnessed on. Yeah, but oh, they can break. They can, and bits in that situation, bits of boat starts breaking off if waves hit you and stuff. But can yeah. I just ask, like, are you yeah. in the screaming fifties? Yeah, yeah. And do you just ever have that moment? You go. Fuck, am I doing here? Yeah, I wish I was at home in bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do yeah. you have those thoughts? In the first race, we had an amazing um, moment. I, I still, I mean, I'll go and see these guys next month. We got this reunion, and there was this amazing moment. We'd been in light wind for at least five or six days, and and it was foggy. We're down there. It was foggy and. Everything was wet and it was freezing. A hole downstairs was wet, sleeping bags, bunks, no dry nothing for days, days and days. And I and I came up I came up on watch yet again, like four o'clock in the morning, just a twilight breaking. And Tease, the navigator, he was steering and Pete, my mate Pete was up there and Kido, another Dutchie, and um, the four of us were sitting there and we were just going along. It was boring as batshit. We were reaching. It was, it was just nothing to do. 
and it was just cold and wet and everyone had had enough. And um, <laughs> T's is steering the boat. And I don't know, he just said, he said, this is fucking shit house. <laughs> and we just... We just started laughing for an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could yeah. not stop laughing. It's delusional. And then, yeah, why would you do that? You know. Well, I don't know. I'm, yeah, more, know. I'm more petrified by the story that was preying this one. Oh yeah, but you get it all. You see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, get yeah. really bored. Yeah. It's really there's different challenges through all that stuff. There's a lot of mental work goes into it. There's mm. something that just keeps popping into my mind is like, you know, sailing is like such an ancient part of our culture. It goes hundreds, yep. thousands of years yep. back. Yep. And when you're out there in the elements in the screaming 50s or wherever the fuck you are, do you feel like connected into that story somehow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the French and the Scandies as opposed – and the Kiwis – as opposed to, say, the Australians, Americans and the Brits. The French and the Scandies, those are the Dutch guys. They are, they are absolutely tapped into the, to the romance of it and the history of it. And the sport, they're, diff, they're, they're national sports in those countries, whereas in Australia no one gives a rat's ass. England, they don't care. Americans don't care. But you, you definitely... Um, Go and see something like the Cuddy Sark in London or go up to Greenwich and have a look at Harrison's clock, you know, the clock, you know, the story about how they worked out longitude. And all that stuff is, um, there's a film on it. It's great. What's that called? It's called Longitude, the oh, film. okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's, that's about this guy who um, actually made the first clock that could then go onto a ship and by using time they could work out where they were longitudinally once they had it. And the Brits found it first and that's why the British Empire became the British Empire because they could get everywhere directly, quickly, first, rape and pillage, fuck off the Spanish and just kept doing it. Yeah. It's so it's wild. I mean, well, let's just go back quickly yeah. to your, you. You've you've uh, come off the bottom of that wave. You've gone down, yeah, and then you've come back up. The winds shredded your sails, yeah. And how did you get it? How did you get it? <laughs> well, so everyone's okay. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, number off. Think count backwards from ten. All these little things you do. You don't do anything until you. Calm yourself down. Count backwards from ten. I so I that's what I always do. Just, just to just sit there, count backwards from ten. It stops you stops you knee jerking. It stops you reacting. Do you ever do that in the surf? Uh when it when you're about to get cleaned up at two mile. <laughs> it's usually quicker than ten. Um yeah. No, no, but just sailing. It's just like you, you're uh, so pumped in adrenaline that you need to. Because we race so much, we were used to breaking things. So I've been on like ten boats or twelve boats where the mast is broken. You know, it's pretty dangerous. Like, luckily on my occasions, no one's ever got hurt. But you've got a broken mast over the side, banging into the side of the boat. If you're in a seaway. It's really dangerous. If it's flat water, it's kind of okay. 
and you've got gear in the water, you've got people making sure everyone's all right, and now you've got to get out of this situation. So, you know, you break your boom, you've got bits of metal flying around, sails flapping, you know, ropes slashing, whip, whipping through the breeze, all that stuff's really dangerous. So when something happens on a boat, you stop. You know, race over, man. Well, it's not, it's not over, but it's, it's race over for the moment because you're not racing while it's like that, so you've got to sort it out. And so you just stop, and that's one way is just to count backwards and don't do anything and make sure everyone's all right. Just eyeball everyone, anyone panicking, sort them out, you know, all that sort of thing. And then by that time you can start looking at things a bit more critically, a bit more subjectively, sorry, objectively, and and then go from there. So that's what you did? Yeah, yeah. So we had to ease the main off was the first job because that was pinning us down. And so we had to let that free. So it was now flogging in the breeze and we didn't want to wreck that. That was a nightmare. And we had to get these jibs off. And so what we actually did was drop the main. We, we eased it off. We dropped it, secured it. And then these jibs, the shredded one and then the other one got shredded. They both ended up shredding in this breeze. So it took eight hours to sort it out because it was all Eight not- hours? Yeah, yeah. That's it was, incredible. Yeah, because we had to... In the screaming 50s. Yeah. In the big waves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't all breaking. People, people, the, the, you know, the, the, those those roguey ones broke, but mostly they're not you're not getting yeah, but cleaned still, up. Yeah. It's an undulated huge ocean. It was. Yeah. But you know, when those waves are really giant, the chops smaller and stuff, there's something about it. It can be blowing 40 knots and you hardly have any small waves uh, yeah. because everything's so huge, you know? That's what happens after a while. Yeah. But it's that one big breaking one that you don't want. That's uh so did you, just driving away from that moment, but mm. were you on that treacherous Sydney to Hobart? Where no. It, no. Okay. 98, no. Yeah. I'm glad I wasn't there. I had a lot of mates there. That was not good. Yeah. 93 was similar. We all ended up, 80 boats ended up in Eden. No one got killed, but there were 80 broken boats in Eden. <laughs> that was a good night in the RSL. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah. The, all 80 boats were smashed up and the race was called off in 93? No, no. Boats still finished it. Oh, wow. And won. Yeah. Yeah. Think a boat, think a boat called 97 one. I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh, man. This has been uh, awesome. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I feel could. like I could pick your brain for hours on, you know, the ocean and sailing and the stories and, you know, like, do you think about, like, the, you know, I have a really, the, my most panicked moment, I think I was maybe grade 67 and a, my great aunt was seeing or dating this guy who had a trailer sailor. Yeah. And he took, um, my great aunt, my dad, and me, we left Mornington 
and we went out to see the tall ships. Yeah, yeah. And I right. reckon was that probably eighty eight. Eighty eight. And I think it was was supposed to be back by that afternoon. And I think we went out through the heads. Oh, you did right to see them or something. And then when we came, we didn't get home till four a.m. We hit a sand, yeah. Oh, and a storm blew up that afternoon. Right, and we got stuck, and it was fucking frightening. Like you know, it went night time. I remember they put me down and below. And my great aunt was giving me like little shots of brandy to try and calm me down. I was fucking losing it. Dad would come down, had blood all over his head, been hit by the mast. Oh, no. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was no radios. No, no yeah. one knew where we were. Yeah. That, and I was petrified. We hit a sandbar in the, in the bay. Coming back in. Coming Mud back Island in somewhere. somewhere. I don't know. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So you would have been at night. Yeah. Things weren't as well lit then. Mm. Yeah. I thought we were dying. Like, in my mind, we were fucking dead, <laughs> you know. Anyway, yeah, it's just a wild world, you know. And I my, yeah. my, I just think you guys are so, you know, you're the cut of a different cloth. Yeah, well, you found your way through it, though. It's like anything, you know. You just, I, I didn't know how it was all going to be. I, I didn't, you just went from one thing to another and built up to that. Um, You know, when you, when you race, in the bay or do the Sydney Hobart, you're going in lots of wind as well and you're surfing your boats down waves or or you're trying to punch through them going upwind or whatever. So it was just, it just became an extension of that and it was kind of the ultimate trip because you're down there. I mean, it was, to me, it was all about the Southern Ocean and the surfing. That's why I wanted to do it. And, oh, we used to send, we sent it, you know, it was awesome. Yeah. I love in this article that you talk about um, in the rip and you talk about in the ice age uh, time when the water levels were lower than 130 metres or something and yeah. the Yarra ran to, yeah. ta- to Tassie? Yeah, no, it runs to Cape Otway. So we do another article in Great Ocean Quarterly around that in another issue, I think. And, um, yeah, it goes out, out through the rip which is like there's gorges and waterfalls yeah, under this there. Is I was tripping on the waterfall part. There's a waterfall. Yeah. Yeah, if I've got a I've got a um a contour map of the rip. It's incredible this Irish guy does them. I got it I got it specially done from this guy. It's and you can just see where the waterfalls are. If you go in the rip, some of those photos Johnny Frank took. We we I had a motorboat. We were going out getting photos for that. Um when that tide's running out, that waterfall's happening, and that's what all the that's what all the um, boils and whirlpools are in the just rip. drawing down off that shelf. Yeah, and it's a little spot in the rip called the wall, and it's uh, it's crazy. And that's there's incredible fish and bird action there, and it's crazy. But that the Yarra just snakes off down. Off to the continental shelf just south of Cape Otway. Yeah. So, you know when you get on Google Maps and you do it on, is it topographical or whatever, and you see the water line, then you zoom out and then you see that shelf that's yeah. just out and it just, it's like yeah. incredible when you look at that. Yeah. I love doing that. Yeah. Um, have you heard, is this an urban myth 
a pilot boat went down out there. No, that's that ha- guy. Guys got killed. Yeah. They, it did happen. Yeah, that happened. I can't find anything on it. That was in the Port, C- Port Phillip Sea pilot. That was um, in the. Did they break I a think windscreen? It was in the eighties. Broke pierced, pierced the windscreen. They corkscrewed in and just kept going. Or mate, those know. waves out there. If that if that's ebbing in a southwest swell, it's it's. It'll break a ship. That's why they close it sometimes. Oh, ebbing means it's slack water when you no, go the, and surf the, it? The, 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 when the tide's running out, Yeah, right, it can go out there depending on the tides at seven knots, six, seven knots against a big southwest swell, and those things will stand up 60, 80 feet, and they'll break. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. So if you've got a 20-foot swell... And a big tide, that's crazy. And they'll shut it. They'll close it, yeah. Only until it goes slack and then, then you can do it. But there's a, yeah. It's a fucking wild piece. Like, I oh, like- It's one of the wildest pieces of water in the world. There's a couple more places around the world like it. But I remember Peter Blake and, um, oh, what was his name? Oh, God, I forgot his name. He did a... He had his Kiwi guys. They went around Australia in a trimaran and um, they came through there on that thing and they knew but they didn't know and they just came through and they popped into the bay. They got through and they just went, what was that? And these guys have been around the world six times, you know. (laughs) What was that? It's just, it's madness there. I love it. Oh, I love it. There's it's an energy. There's so, so much energy there, isn't there? Yeah. And even yeah. if you go for a surf yeah. course there, yeah. it's just like you're yeah. like. Mm. Yeah. You've, yeah. And like I went recently to see, I uh, took Virginia down just to see the pilot boats yeah. and just read the thing and show her what the pilot boats are. Uh, there's those things. Yeah. Have an energy, I reckon. Yeah. I yeah. like yeah. the engineering in those things. Yeah. Well, Mal Hart designs those boats from Mornington. He's a race boat builder. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And then he's got into these things. Yeah. They are weapons. They're carbon fiber. They're weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're pretty safe. They're really fast. Like I said before, speed is your friend. That one that went down, they wouldn't have had the boat speed that these things have. So the, they got they just got overwhelmed by a big wave in the wrong spot when, when that happened. And were they thought to be unsinkable at that time as well? I don't. I'm not sure that's the case, but they would have been pretty. They were. They were definitely those old ones were definitely robust boats, but mm. they just weren't anywhere near as capable as these new ones. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we did touch on something else. Then the great, uh, the Great Ocean Quarterly. Yeah. Yeah. How did the Great Ocean Quarterly come about? How did the th- the three of you come together? Yeah. So Mick and I were good friends. Yeah. I reckon I reckon I saw him surfing um, boneyards down near Polo Bay back in the day before I knew him. When I when I finally met him in St Kilda, before we when we came became friends, I said, "See, you were my hero when when you when I was young, mate." And you know, Mickey Mickey um, showed me. He's you know he's a graphic artist and painter and artist writer, um, filmmaker. He showed me some spreads for a magazine idea he had and they were beautiful and some of those are in that first issue and I just said, yeah, mate, we just got to do this. So um, 
we we talked about how we'd put it together and we needed an editor and um yeah Johnny Frank was involved with us early on and then um we um found Jock and so Jock agreed to join him him being an a, a, an amazing ocean lover and waterman and surfer and you know he, he loves diving and stuff and uh he he just was compelled to be part of it. So the three of us did did the first issue in 2013, I think it was. Yeah. Ten years ago. Is it 2013? I think it was. We went for two and a half years. We did the seven issues and I uh, just couldn't make it work. Such a shame. Yeah. Yeah. We were close, I think. I think at the time, when I think back on it, I think at the time we were we were closer than we thought to keeping it going. Um, yeah, so... I love magazines. Yeah, yeah. Those things are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I could sat down and read a couple of articles over the weekend and mm. grabbed one to Virginia to read and just to sit around and on the couch and read something, you know, like I never do yeah. it anymore. But yeah. Because ha- magazines are I mean, they're obviously still in the news agency and I just don't go down there, but... Yeah. It's, they're nice. Well, they're pretty timeless, those stories. They're not. They're not dated. They're they're just um, they're just stories from different parts of the world. That's what we originally it was going to be around the Great Ocean Road and everything, but it was pretty quick. We thought, well, actually, it's Great Ocean anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it was amazing the um, the response we got. We we got a lot of people hitting us up to to contribute, and word got out there through a thir- certain sector of, of of the sort of art writing ocean community and you know we're getting all sorts of stuff from scandinavia and south america and everywhere it was great and um you know mick and jock did such a beautiful job i was just the business guy and they did such a beautiful job putting it together and um you know yeah so there was seven of them 2020 we made another one the lost eight mm-hmm. and we crowdfunded that and that went really, really well. I, I, th- I think um, I think we were in the middle of COVID, and people were kind of into anything. <laughs> and we had a great following, and we still got a great following. Um, and so we did that, and then there was all this talk: oh, should we get going again? And we, I think, Jock's become busier as a writer, and Mick's become busier doing stuff. I'm probably less busy. <laughs> I just went sailing. But, um, yeah, so we did that one and, and then we talked about it and then probably couldn't really get our mojo together to really start it again. But then we met we met the Great Southern Reef Foundation. Do you know about them? No. Okay, so there's a guy called Scott Bennett, a scientist at UTAS, and he wrote a paper in 2015 on the interconnectedness of the temperate reefs of Australia. So if you take from the Tweed around New South Wales, Victoria, Clue, Tasmania, go right around South Australia, Western Australia, up to, say, about Kalbarri. They're, they're the temperate reefs of Australia and it's clear that they're interconnected uh, with with all species of um, uh, fauna and flora. So the, the fish, you know, there's a flathead there, there's a flathead here, the, the kelp, all the grasses and so on. Even the rock formations. So, like um, 
you know, our trees all talk to each other under the ground through the root system. Right. The same thing's happening with the reefs. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, fucking hell, eh? <laughs> what we don't know. Surprise, surprise. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean it's all interconnected? Yeah. Funny. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, they are doing a great job trying to give the Great Southern Reef an identity. And in this way, we can talk about it, we can share, we can fundraise for it, we can run initiatives like, you know, Save the Bite, and there's there's more reason to look after what's there. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did an economic analysis on, on that stretch of coast, and it's 10 times more valuable economically than the Great Barrier Reef, for example. The Great Barrier Reef must be protected as well. Um, that's not the point of that. The, what, what I'm trying to say is, is that the people need to understand that our whole coastline is critical to our existence and we we need to look after it. So we we thought that the Great Southern Reef would be a great theme for another issue of Great Ocean Quarterly. And so this next issue that we're trying to get up now is um, dedicated to the GSR. So that it so it won't have any any international elements. It'll just be all around the southern temperate coastline of Australia. So that'll be that'll be indigenous stuff, it'll be science, it'll be art, music, writing, whatever. The what? same the same the same idea as Great Ocean Quarterly, but but on our reef. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I love it. Yeah. So I mean the support's been amazing. We're we're a long way off making it. We've got to we've got to we've got to sell um, probably we've got to sell twelve hundred. So is this twelve hundred pre-orders? Yeah. Okay. And it's kind of like crowdfunding, but yeah. we've set up our own platform to do it. Yeah. Um, and if we can if we can make those numbers, we'll print the thing. Uh, if we get close, we'll, we'll have to see what we can do. If we don't get close, we won't be able to print it. Mm-hmm. So we're 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 reaching out to as many people as we can to either pre-order and ch- and share. Are you listening? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we find that, Mark? Uh, greatocean.com. Just straight up greatocean.com? Yeah, you'll go straight to the page. No AU? Uh, can't remember. Sorry. <laughs> should be. Should know that, shouldn't I? I think it's dot com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope you dot, get across dot the line. Dot au. Do dot au, everyone. If you don't get there on dot com, dot dot <laughs> au. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think I put it in the. I did. I put a link in the in in um Dave Butterworth. Ah, uh, thanks, Johnny. Yeah, that that's awesome. So it will be there yeah. whether it's dot com or dot that's au. That's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I'll put another one in this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, and thanks everyone who's already done it too. We we you know we love you all. Oh man, yeah. I love what you guys do. Yeah, yeah, and I'm so stoked that I've been able to have you in the horse's mouth in person, and uh, and tell some of these tales. So I want to say thanks so much for coming over. Uh, it's a pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Oh. Okay, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Mark Willett. Now, I told you, like, 
far out. Like, could you imagine being in some of those circumstances? Like, I'd be crying. I honestly would be. Um, you know, I like to um, think that I'm a bit of a waterman. But, man, I tell you what, when you get uh, in a pinch out there in the ocean, it, it's really easy to go to water. And I just know that my constitution, I'd be like, get me the fuck out of here. Um, Mark, so good. Thank you so much for coming over and um, and, and chatting with me and, and being so open and honest and vulnerable. And, um, yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. So, um, and for all the rest of you out there in the wide world, thank you so much for tuning in as always. Um, and I hope this finds you well, you know. Like I trip out all the time on, on just life, like the day-to-day. <laughs> it's weird, man. Like we're not going to be here one day. Like what the fuck is that, right? So just got to suck it up. And, and, and like I have shit days. Honestly, I really have shit days. And then, you know, then you find beauty in the weirdest things. So anyway, nonetheless, I don't know what the fuck that means. But I just hope that this finds you well. You know, it's all short and fleeting. So fuck it. Why not? Let's enjoy it. Yeah. Till next time. Adios.